I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class, but I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me now as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy, and I'm a quilter, and welcome to episode 175, in which I have a President's Day sew-in. And I am recording this on Monday, the 16th, um, February 16th, here in the United States. It is President's Day, and I have the day off. I don't usually get the day off that I recall. I would think if I remembered if I got this day off every year. Um, it took me by surprise this year, so I think it must have something to do with when Christmas and New Year's fall, and how many days they have, you know, HR has to give us for the year, whatever. So I think I might get President's Day off once in a while. Um, in any case, this is a year that I did get it off. So um, a few of us have had a President's Day so in this weekend, because of course, we never only take one day. <laughs> we twilters, we will take as many sew-in days as we could get. So pretty much all weekend long, there's been a hashtag floating around PDSI. It has not been a, you know, really widespread thing because not a lot of people do always get President's Day off, but a few of us are doing it. Um, and in any case, it's always fun to watch people's tweets of what they're working on anyway. And I've had an extraordinarily productive weekend. I want to start with an announcement and then um, most of the episode will be a Sandy update because I got some stuff done and then we'll do some listener feedback. The announcement is actually not all that interesting. It just came up this morning on Twitter that apparently some of you are having some issues with the audio on my podcast, that it's um, playing very quietly for you. Uh, I just found this out now. Um, apparently it's been going on for several months. The reason I didn't know that is because I don't have the same problem. <laughs> I, I do quite routinely. I always listen to my episodes back before I post them. Um, as you know, I often listen to them back and end up deleting them <laughs> and trying again. But in any case, I always listen to them back. I always listen back to them on my computer, certainly. I will often then also test them out on my phone, which is how a lot of folks listen to theirs. Um, and I don't hook it up to my speakers. I do have um, Bluetooth speakers that I usually use with my phone here at home when I'm in my sewing room and listening to other people's podcasts. But in any case, it sounds fine to me. I have not had any... Um, I've never given myself any cause for concern about the audio levels, but everybody's settings are different. Everybody's setup is different. Everybody's phones, everybody's computers, everybody's speakers, everything's always different. So basically what I'm going to do is I'm just going to record it loud um, from now on. So some of you may now need to turn your <laughs> computers or your phones or whatever down. Um, I, I, I'm really, it's beyond me because like I said, it's sounding fine to me. So um, it's that means if it's, I'm not saying that means y'all who have said it's quiet or wrong. I'm saying because it sounds fine to me, I don't really know where the issue is. I can make some guesses. Um, but in any case, I will just start recording it loud. And apologies to any of you that I am now blasting. <laughs> Wake up. Here I am. Um, in any case, that's enough about the audio. We'll see how it goes. Sandy update. Uh, not only because I had today off um, have I gotten some stuff done, but also we, you know, once again, got snowed in this weekend a bit. Um, mostly it wasn't so much that we got a lot more snow. We did get, I don't know, 
maybe another seven to nine inches all in over the weekend. And I know to some of you that may sound like an awful lot for us. That's kind of normal winter, really. So it's it doesn't seem that big an issue. The biggest issue we're having is that it's not warming up at all in between snows. So it just keeps snowing on top of snowing on top of snowing. And um, so we are having some issues with big piles building up where the plows have been putting stuff and um, drifting. That was actually the big issue on Saturday. We had I ran some errands with my daughter in the morning and we had kind of talked since my daughter was home this weekend from school. We had talked about maybe going out to a movie or something Saturday night. But there was so much wind that the drifts were horrendous. And we had problems getting in and out of our driveway. Um, and then any side streets. The main streets were generally okay. They were kind of slick, but they were okay. Um, but any side streets were in bad shape. So we ended up just deciding to stay home all day Saturday. And then Sunday, my husband and I, were we had tickets to go to a culinary arts center, which is um, in the Finger Lakes, about an hour south of us southeast of us and um, they were doing a wine and chocolate pairing tasting class and so we had gotten tickets for it as our valentine's uh, celebration the day after valentine's day um, and we ended up deciding we had to cancel out of that too because my husband had gone to the gym in the morning and he was only driving about 30 35 miles an hour the whole way to the gym and it's there's a bit of an expressway between where we are in the gym so that's very unusual to be going that slow and if it's already an hour drive, if we were going 30 to 35 miles an hour the whole way, yeah, it would just, that wasn't going to happen either. So I ended up getting to stay home. I shouldn't say getting to stay home. I ended up, as an alternative, staying home <laughs> pretty much all day Saturday and all day Sunday. And so I got a lot done, um, quilting-wise. Not so much in terms of homework, or homework, ha, housework. Um, although I did get a little bit here and there, but I kept saying to myself, you know, I'm home all weekend. I really should reorganize my pantry. Well, when it comes to a choice between reorganizing one's pantry and playing in one's sewing room, <laughs> you can pretty much guess what it is I decided to do. So in any case, um, I ended up deciding kind of on the spur of the moment Friday, Craftsy was having a big sale this weekend on their classes again. And since I had whittled my list down to, you know, I, I was not still not quite under 10. I haven't quite made that goal yet, but I was getting really close to being around 10 classes again on my list that I hadn't done yet. I decided, sure, I'll go in and look at what they've got and see if I can get, you know, if there's one I've really been wanting that's had a really good uh, price. I ended up buying all in over the weekend, three new classes. I bought two of them Friday and then I got talked into another one, <laughs> I think on Saturday. Um, the, the two I bought on Friday, uh, one was learn to sew colon simple bags with Nicole Vassbinder. And it's a, a very beginning sewer class, sewing sewists class. And um, it had two bags as the, you know, learn to sew projects. And as I have talked about on this podcast and in my blog before, I really hate anything that smacks of garment sewing, and I really have a very vehement dislike of fiddly bits. But I also know quite a bit of that dislike comes from the fact that I'm not a garment sewer, and that a lot of um, purse and tote bag patterns that I have bought over the years, because I, I do like quilted tote bags, and I like quilted purses, so I tend to keep buying patterns. Um, 
they're written assuming that you're coming at it from a garment sewing background, not necessarily a quilter background. And so often there were either things they assumed you knew how to do or that you should do. And so they'd skip right over steps entirely. And I'd be lost, you know, by the end of it, I'd be kind of like, well, why does this look nothing like <laughs> it was supposed to look? Or, you know, terminology I'd have to go look up or whatever. It was always just so frustrating to me that I, I just, it, it wasn't going to end well. So I decided maybe if I actually took a kind of basic sewing class, refreshed my memory of some of these tips and techniques and, and terminology, the three T's, um, maybe I would actually be able to approach tote bags and purses more confidently and have a happier time with them. Um, and I will say, I, d I decided to prioritize that this weekend. I figured since I've got this long weekend, why don't I work my way through this class? Um, when I've got time and I'm not trying to do something in a hurry and I can just kind of relax my way through it. So I did actually finish that class. So I bought it Friday. I had it done by Sunday early afternoon and and that was not working on that solely. I had other things I was doing in between there, but um, I made both bags that were part of the class. I, I posted a review of it so you can read my review. You can read my, you can see the photos of the, the completed projects. Neither of the projects are ones that I would really make again. You know, they're both perfectly nice. Um, I'm not altogether sure how functional the tote bag is, um, at least for me and the way I tend to use tote bags. It's cute, but I'm not sure it's one that I would use all that often. So even, you know, I know I could make adjustments and make it more functional. I'm not sure I'm committed enough to the design itself to say, yeah, I really want to keep poking at this because, gee, it's close if only it had X, Y, or Z. I think I can just find other patterns that have more <laughs> of what I want and save myself some time that way. Um, I'm also, I, what I want to do now in terms of the zippered pouch, which was actually the one, because I, I have successfully made a tote bag in my past. There were a couple of little things wrong with it, but that is a pattern I will do again. Um, I'm now, it's probably about seven years <laughs> since I made that first one. And I've always said, oh, I'll make that again. And I haven't done it yet, but it's a very simple and it was pretty fast for me to put together. Um, and it's a basically a nice enough functional tote bag. That is one that I probably would make a couple of changes to um, in order to make it even more functional. Mostly I would like it better if it had a closure on the top. It has no closure. Um, so it's not one I can take on the plane because if it tips over, it's dumping out. I need, I'm always in search of the perfect carry-on slash tote bag for travel. Um, Target has done me well. <laughs> I've bought several Target bags, but I'd really like to make myself a nice travel one, a quilted one at some point, or three, you know, so I can have different designs. Um, but in any case, this this tote bag that I've made is not it. And there were a couple of things that were I to make that tote bag again, I would do better at. Um, the tote bag I made in the Debbie, Cra I'm sorry, not Debbie Caffrey, that's the other class, Nicole Vassbinder class, is cute. It's cuter, arguably, than the tote bag that I made um, the other one. But again, it's not particularly functional for the way I use tote bags. Um, the class was perfectly fine, and you will see that on my review. It was, I'm not, I don't have a problem with the class. Um, I had a little bit of a problem with the class materials not always matching what was being said in the video. Um, that's a little bit of a quality control thing that I wish Craftsy or somebody had caught up to that, no, she's saying one thing in the video and the instructions actually say something different. But it wasn't in an area that made a huge difference. I was able to catch it and, you know, adjust and do what I knew needed to be done. Um, 
But in any case, I can't say that the class convinced me that, hey, yeah, I love doing this now. <laughs> I'm still, I still have a little bit of a chip on my shoulder, I guess. Um, and unfortunately, I can't blame my dislike of garment sewing and fiddly bits on a, um, you know, home ec teacher trauma like I can my math trauma, because my home ec teacher was wonderful. I really enjoyed her. Yes, that was back in the day when girls took home ec and boys took shop. Um, we were sort of the last generation of kids, I think, that did that. But in any case, my home ec teacher was great. I really enjoyed her. And I really enjoyed all the rest of the parts of that class. When we got into the kitchen, oh, I had great fun. It was just, I did not like garment sewing. I never did. Um, so in any case, that was that class. But I'm glad I did it. And I'm glad, you know, that I made the two um, bags. The zipper pouch, what I really want to do now, um, and what I'm probably going to do as soon as I'm done recording this episode is... I want to go back and re-watch the Missouri Star Quilt Company tutorial on the way she does the zippered pouch, because the pouch itself is quite similar um, in shape and design from what I remember, but she handles the zipper a little bit differently, and I really want to see how she does her zipper to see if I'd like it, the end result, better than what I liked the end result in the zipper in the Learn to Sew class on Craftsy. Um, so in any case, I did feel all sorts of accomplished, and and I will give it that. The thing that I love in theory about the idea of doing tote bags and purses, um, and again, in theory, because I really don't actually enjoy sewing them, is one, I got to use fabrics from my stash that I've never gotten rid of because I always like the fabrics, but I never found a quilt that they fit into, um, you know, anything I was working on. And now 90% of my quilt making is using my own hand dyes. I really very rarely use my commercial fabric anymore unless I'm doing, you know, a baby quilt or something like that. So I've got all the stash fabric just going to waste on my shelves. And I would like to, at least some of it I would like to use. Some of it I might give away or sell or whatever. But there are some pieces that I really like the fabric. There's a reason I bought it in the first place. It's very pretty. Um... But I don't really have specific plans to use it. So it would be nice to make some tote bags or purses or Ziploc bags or Ziploc um, zippered pouches or whatever. Um, especially with the pouches, the smaller pieces of fabric. So in any case, uh, it was also really fun to put in a couple of hours and have a completed project. Which, you know, how often does that happen on a quilt? <laughs> it's rare to finish a quilt in two hours. But you can feasibly finish a tote bag or a zipper pouch in two hours. And so that was kind of a a nice benefit as well as being able to have a finished product. But did I enjoy doing it? Not particularly. Um, and that's just me. Again, that's not a, a thing on the class. That's just learning about me. It it really doesn't matter if I become any more comfortable with doing that kind of sewing. I, I imagine at this point I could be really good at it and still not particularly enjoy it. It's just not something that really turns me on. I can, I will keep kind of poking away at it because I do have some tote bag and purse patterns that I would kind of like to make. Um, but it's it's not something that I race to do the way I race to do some other projects. So that's enough of that class. Um, the other class that I bought on Friday that I haven't touched yet is fa Fabric Paints with Cindy Walter. And I bought that because I'm at a point now where I do want to keep doing some more just hand dyeing. Obviously, I, I need to have more hand dyes, but I also want to really start working on some surface design techniques. And for those of you who don't know the terminology, um, hand dyeing is dyeing the fibers of the fabric itself. Surface design is more what you do on top of the fabric, um, such as uh, stenciling of oil paint sticks, um, uh, screen printing. I mean, there's any number of things you can do. That's all surface design. And so I, I own 
fabric paints of a variety of types and I just have never sat down and really well I've you know messed around with them a little bit as soon as I bought them but I haven't really known what I was doing so I bought that class in plans that I'm going to be doing that um, but right now it's just too dang cold again in the basement and I just don't particularly want to be down there um, so I and I was more in the mood to be in my sewing room so I haven't started that one yet um, all my fabric paints all of that kind of stuff all lives in one place in the basement because I don't have to worry about anything getting messy down there. <laughs> it's a nice cement floor. I've got my tables are all covered in plastic. It's my dye studio, so that's where all of that stuff just lives. But it does make it less enticing to, you know, actually do anything with it. Um, probably what I will do is start watching the fabric paints class, and once I see kind of what the techniques are and everything, I could take over the kitchen table in the evening while we're watching TV or whatever, as long as, again, as long as I cover it with everything. So anyway, that's another class. The third class I bought was Cut to It, Strategies for Smarter Quilting with Debbie Caffrey. And this one I got talked into. I was not the enabler on this one. Although, because I got involved in a conversation about it and then ended up buying it myself, I inadvertently became an enabler of somebody else who'd been on the fence and then went ahead and bought it as well. Um, but actually, I'm gonna I'm pointing the finger at Cotty at this one because Cotty was the first one who mentioned it um, in Twitter this weekend that I picked up on it and said, you know, I'd kind of I had seen that one. I'd kind of thought maybe it would be a good class, but I hadn't spent a lot of time looking at it. And she was just raving so much about it on Twitter that I had to check it out. And then I read some other reviews of it um, and a lot of kind of long-term quilters, people who had been doing it for years, were all saying how much they had learned from this class. And I thought, well, okay, you know, I'll do it. And I've only watched the first, I think I'm up to lesson three now, but the first lesson itself, I already picked up two or three tips. And in fact, I had watched the first, about halfway through the first lesson before I went to Joanne's on Saturday, because I had a few other little supplies I had to pick up for other projects. And she talked at great length about having um, two cutting mats. And I thought, you know, my cutting table is big enough for two mats. I've always wanted two mats. And when I got to Joanne's, they were having a big sale and I had a coupon. So I decided, yeah, I went ahead and I bought myself a second mat. So I now have almost my entire surface of my cutting table is covered with cutting mats, um, which has been very helpful already because I was always having to kind of reposition myself to not run off the edge of my cutting mat. And I've got the biggest cutting mat. Um, now, what I haven't done, she has one of hers face up and then the other one face down so she doesn't have to get distracted by the lines. Mine currently are both line side up. Um, I am going to at some point when I'm actually doing some kind of standard cutting the way she was demonstrating in the class where it's you're cutting a lot of the same kind of unit. I will try flipping one over to see if it makes a difference because I think what she says is that it it makes it easier for her to see the lines on a ruler. Now, I've never really particularly had that problem, but maybe I'll find out when I turn the mat over that, wow, that really does make a difference. So I'm willing to try it. Um, but in any case, that I will highly recommend Cut To It Strategies for Smarter Quilting, even though I'm only into the third lesson out of, I think there might be seven altogether. I never write my reviews until I've watched all the lessons, but I am hoping to maybe get to writing that review by the end of this week. I'm trying to watch that class like as I'm eating lunches, I'm doing other things, I'm watching through it. Um, a lot of it is techniques for doing types of quilts that I just want to remember for the future. It's not a project class, so it's not like you have to watch a lesson and then do something. You're just kind of watching it for reference. There, She does have a pattern for something if you want to do it 
um, do a quilt that uses some of these, you know, techniques that she's learning. But for the most part, I'm just, again, I'm watching it for reference. And the reason I actually bought it, the reason I was sort of vulnerable to Kati's enabling <laughs> was I had just earlier this week decided I am probably going to end up making a king size quilt for my brother-in-law. And I'm really, I'm still, oh, not happy. <laughs> I know, I know. It's my decision. It's not like anybody's twisting my arm. Here's the situation. My brother-in-law, who is about 10 years younger than me, um, about 13 years younger than my husband, um, is finally getting married. Woohoo! Um, he has met a wonderful woman. We all love her. In fact, within the first couple times that he brought her to the, you know, to family events and we all met her several months ago, we were all already saying, he's got to marry her. She's great. We love her. She fits the family. She's fun to be with. You know, just a really wonderful woman. Um, and so when they announced they were engaged, it was less an excitement and more a, thank God that that's finally done. Now we can stop worrying <laughs> because she is going to be part of the family. So that's very exciting. Um, but I had been talking to my husband and saying, you know, I don't know that I really want to make them a quilt because I don't know what their taste is and I don't really enjoy making bed quilts. And, and he pointed out a few things about them and their relationship that said, you know, they'd probably actually really love a traditional bed quilt. Um, and we all know how much I love making bed quilts to begin with, let alone traditional blocks, which are just 180 of the same piece over and over and over again. But in any case, um, because of that, and I did start kind of looking around, well, if I'm going to make something like that, it's got to be something I really like. <laughs> and it's got to be a design I enjoy making. And I've been wanting to make a Jacob's Ladder quilt for a while. And in fact, I'd started cutting pieces for a scrappy one. But as I started about a year ago now, haven't worked on it in a while. But as I was thinking about a design that would feel um, interesting enough to me, but still be traditional for them, but still have a little bit of a contemporary feel. Jacob's Ladder Block is it for me. I love Jacob's Ladder. It, And I think I've always liked it, but then when I was at um, Paducah and went to the National Quilt Museum, they had a special exhibit going on about Jacob's Ladder. And it was just so cool to see it interpreted in so many different ways. So I, I really fell in love with the block at that point. And I think I'm going to do it in scrappy blues on a scrappy um, kind of light beige-ish cream, brownish um, kind of background. But that means, yeah, I'm going to be cutting a lot of pieces because um, none of the pieces I cut for the initial Jacob's Ladder will work because that's not at all the color scheme they were in. Um, so in any case, and yeah, I think it has to be king size because I want it to be something they can both use at the same time and a throw quilt would not cut it. Um, my brother-in-law's tall. <laughs> I just They need a bed-size quilt, and my guess is they probably are going to have a king-size bed. They might have a queen, but even making a king-size, then it would still fit a queen. So I think that's where I'm going to have to go. Um, and because of that, then, when Cotty started talking about a class about smarter quilting and how you are cutting and how you could cut a lot more pieces at the same time more accurately, I was like, okay, you know, I'm this is what I'm going to need right now. Um and yeah, in that first lesson, there's already several tips that I think will make this whole king-size Jacob's Ladder quilt more palatable to me. I still haven't quite gotten my head wrapped around it enough to actually start doing anything about it. Partly I have to, I'm going to design it on UQ7 so I can get a sense of how many of the different units I need and that kind of thing first. So I'm going to be working on that this week. So anyway, that's where I was with both crafty classes and what I was working on this weekend. Um... The other thing I f 
finished today that I've been kind of working on is my snow dye challenge with Sandy of Quilt Cabana Corner. Sandy, woohoo, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. Um, this actually was one of the designs that I came up with when I was in my art quilt design class last weekend. Um, I actually came out of that, I think I said, with about five different possible <laughs> quilt designs, and I kept all the fabrics for each of them sitting on the side of my cutting table just to remind me that they were still there and that they could be worked on. And that was the one that just really struck me as the first one I wanted to do, and it is using one of my recent snow dyes, which was the, the point of our challenge for me, was to use one of the snow dyes I just created. Um, and it's not one that you would have expected me to work with first because when you look at all my snow dyes, it's not one of the most stunning, but to me it's one of the most interesting. And so I was really glad to have a design that really let me highlight it, I think, and use it in a very interesting way. Um, but then I, it, the whole thing is entirely all my hand dyes, which was just really fun. So after working on, I'd, I'd started kind of working on it a little bit here and there, but then after doing those two bags, I was like, you know, I've got to just do something for my soul at this point. <laughs> And I just went wholeheartedly into this snow dye challenge project and I was just having so much fun. I really, I mean, that's where I get the buzz. Um, zippered pouches, well and good. I get a real buzz working on, <laughs> on the art quilt stuff. And I really like the way this one turned out. It's a very simple design, but I played with um, color. I never took out my color wheel while I was working on it. I was just doing it based on gut instinct. Um, but now, now that it's done, now I kind of want to get out my color wheel and see what it was I did <laughs> and why it, why it feels to me like it works so well. Uh, but in any case, I really enjoyed doing that. Um, I've just sent Sandy a direct message on Twitter to find out how are we handling the reveal on this? Are we going to wait? Because I know she's also said she's actually pretty close to done with hers too. Uh, so I don't know if we're going to both try to reveal at the same time or whether we're just going to reveal whenever we're done, in which case I would reveal fairly soon. Uh, so I don't know what's going on with that, but I, I did. I just had a ball with it. Just had a ball with it. Um, my next project that I'm going to be working on as soon as I'm done recording this is the February Craftsy Blocks for the um, Ginny Buyer Block of the Month on the free block of the month on Craftsy. There's two blocks for February. Um, I'm not doing them by hand this time. I'm definitely doing them by machine. And I'm also using the rotary cutter instructions wherever I can, but there are still a couple of places where you have to use templates. And so I'd, I was originally going to do the blocks and then record the podcast. And I thought, you know, I've got to work up my sense of patience to do templates again. I hate working with templates. And it's sort of a similar issue I had with working with patterns um, on the tube, on the tote bag and the purse. As a quilter, it just feels all sorts of... It, I feel like I'm wasting more fabric using the templates. Now, partly that's the nature of this particular project, the February or the Ginny Buyer Block of the Month. There's a fair amount of fussy cutting because you're trying to get mirror images and, and using the border prints in certain ways. Um, so I also have to kind of work my courage up to start cutting into the fabric because all, there's always that fear of, all right, well, I'm going to choose to cut out of this part of the fabric this month, but when I get eight months in, am I going to be running out of fabric now because I've chosen to cut in the wrong places? That's that's the part that's most stressful for me. 
the other part that's a little bit stressful is like I talked about in a previous episode is how accurate are these templates really no matter how much I try to print them off at exactly the right size and I measure everything and it measures out right and then I'm tracing and then I'm you know there's just so many places where you can go off and I found that with the the purses and the tote bags but with the purses and the tote bags if you're inaccurate, it doesn't matter quite nearly as much because stuff just gets hidden in seams for the most part. Um, at least at you know the level I'm doing, I'm not doing super complex purses and tote bags where it might matter more. In this case, it was like, okay, well, that doesn't quite match up, but that's all right. It's all going to be hidden by a seam. In these blocks, if it doesn't match up, you know, you're kind of SOL, as they say. <laughs> and so anyway, um, yeah, I'm building up my courage to do the couple of templates that I have to do. I think what I'm going to do is just work on one block today and then maybe do another one next week next weekend um i don't know we'll see again that's not a project i'm thoroughly enjoying but it, i'm just doing it for the learning curve and um in this block one of these two blocks i don't remember which one we're going to be doing set and seams which yes believe it or not for 15 years as a quilter i've managed to avoid i know how to do them i know how to do them in theory um i'm not particularly nervous about doing it i've just never done it and that's again part of why I'm doing this block of the month so anyway um that's the rest of my day I doubt I'll get much more done today than even if I get I'll be surprised if I actually get a whole block pieced today of the two blocks um because my husband and I are going out to dinner tonight so um we'll just see what I can manage to get done um what else am I working on I'm I am still working on the hand applique of the Sue Spargo class i actually have not done anything on it this weekend every time i sat down partly we kept eating dinner late for some reason and so i wouldn't even sit down in front of the tv until 8 or 8 30 and by then i was kind of tired i was like i don't really feel like doing applique so i haven't made any progress on that i will say i have now used wool thread pearl cotton and orophil um 50 weight thread in various butterflies of this applique only because I'm just using whatever thread I have that matches the colors I'm doing for each butterfly, regardless of the type of thread. Um, and I, I'm comfortable doing that in this instance because I think the eventual plan is most of this applique stuff uh, stitching is all going to get covered up with embroidery later on anyway, so I'm not overly worried about the fact that the butterflies have a slightly different look to them depending on which thread I'm using. Out of those three though, the wool thread, the pearl cotton, and the Orofil 50, in this setting, I've actually really liked working with the pearl cotton the best. That's the one that has not given me any issues. I was able to just stitch right away with it, didn't have any problems with twist or with anything. Um, the wool thread I did, you know, I, I took several people's words of advice based on, again, you'll have to go back and listen you know, to three episodes ago where I was talking about the wool thread issues I was having with hand embroidery and got a lot of suggestions from people and I put some of them into play and it did really help, um, mostly just cutting shorter pieces. Uh, I was trying, you know, I'm, I'm used to doing uh, hand binding with regular thread and I have fairly long pieces so I can just truck right along. You can't do that when you're working with wool thread. It's got to be fairly much shorter pieces because there's too much friction and they break um, after so long. Uh, the Orofil 50 weight, I was also having some breakage problems with, which I use Orofil 50 all the time on my machine and never have problems with breakage. For some reason, it was breaking in the needle and in my hand needle. And I think, again, that's probably because of the, you know, the twist, the different motion of hand sewing to machine sewing. Um, so anyway, I've, I think I've got, 
I, there's 15 butterflies in all in the design that you applique down, and I think I've got six left to go, so it's not going fast. I will say I have to do a second layer on these butterflies. I don't have to, but if I like the way the project looks when you do, and so I'm going to. Um, I'm, I'm going to do that by machine. <laughs> <laughs> because the reason I'm doing this class is not to learn how to hand applique, it's to do the embroidery, and it's taking me too stinking long to get to the embroidery. So I think I'm going to do the other part of the applique by machine. I've done machine applique before, not particularly worried about it. Um, so I, I just, I need to cut to the chase and, <laughs> and get to the part that I was taking this class to do in the first place. Um, let's see, what else did I want to talk about? I still have to quilt my disappearing four patch. I had thought I might get to that today. I'm not sure it's looking like I'm going to. Um, but I think I've got some time in the evenings this week. I've only got one evening conference call this week and I'm not out for any meetings. So it'll be a, a more low-key week and I should be able to get some more stuff done in the evening. So that's another project I really want to get done. Um, I think that's it in terms of stuff I'm working on. Uh, I know this is probably not altogether all that interesting since all you're hearing about is what I'm working on and not so much what I've learned. Because, um, well, I mean, I have, I've learned actually quite a bit this weekend. Um, so go read the blog <laughs> with my review of the, the, the Learn to Sew Bags class. Um, and like I said, I am going to be doing a review probably before the end of the week on the strategies for smarter quilting with Debbie Caffrey. Um, and then I, I need to sort through my crafty classes and figure out which ones I want to be working on now, other than the ongoing ones. The Block of the Month and the Sue Spargo class are the two that are just, I'm going to be, well, the Block of the Month I'm going to be doing all year. Sue Spargo right now, it's shaping up that I'm going to be doing that one all year too. <laughs> I hadn't quite expected, I knew it would take me a few months. I didn't know it was going to take me this long just to do the stinking background. I just need to get that done. Um, I do want to, I still do intend to get into my basement and do some of the batiking and such. Um, but like I said, it's been kind of cold. I think it's supposed to start to get more moderate temperatures midweek. So maybe I'll be able to do a little bit then. Um, so anyway, that's what I've got going on at the moment. Let me pull up my listener feedback. I did just find another note I had made to myself that I forgot to mention. Um, the art design class that I took last weekend, the teacher is offering it again the first Saturday in March, and so I sent out a, an email to my quilt design study group to see if anybody wanted to go, and I would go again with them. And we've got like five of us now, I think, who are all going to go to that class. Plus, the same teacher is doing a class the Saturday before, so February 28th on um, essentially it's color palettes and then also sewing circles, uh, kind of free form, freestyle circles. I saw there were people that had projects, they had already done the circle class, the color palette circle class, before they had done the art design class that I had taken. Um, and so they had some of their samples there to show her, you know, how they had progressed further. And they were really cool samples. And so I'm looking forward to doing that one too. I also haven't done a whole lot of curved piecing, um, if any. Uh, I usually lazy out and just do it fusible. <laughs> um, but hers, because I wouldn't do a class if it was only curve piecing, I would, but hers is also doing color work and then the curve piecing. So um, I've got a f 
members of our design study group are doing both classes, but fewer are doing the curved pieces one than the, the art design one. So I'm going to have two weekends in a row where I'm doing classes with the same teacher and some of my peeps. So I'm very excited about that. That'll be a lot of fun. Um, next weekend, we're going to visit my daughter at college, so I won't have a lot going on. It's her birthday weekend, so we're going to go up. Even though she was just home this weekend, we're going to go up next weekend and see her there. Um, thank you to Carol for her comment on my thinking about it Thursday over a week. No, actually, I'm sorry, this past week. Uh, and she said, I, I had mentioned in there that Craftsy was having a sale, and she says she has a class on her wish list. What better day than one that is negative 22 wind chill out there? A big pot of soup is a good warming method as all. Um, just be glad we don't live in Massachusetts. We could be cold and have six feet of snow. And it's funny because Sandy of Quilt Cabana Corner is a Massachusetts person. And she and I have been swapping photos back and forth. My patio isn't quite as high as hers. I would, I'm would i probably two feet shy of where she is, but it is pretty fun to watch our patio furniture disappearing. Hers is completely gone. You can still see the top of mine. Uh, June left a comment on Snow Dye's Chapter 3 blog post. And she asks if I have any tips specific to capturing the true colors of your dyed fabrics. She says, I've tried indoors and outdoors and have turned the settings knob on my camera and find that I can never capture the true dyed color. I don't have this problem with commercial fabrics. Um, and she says she has the Craftsy class, get to know your camera, but need to watch it a couple of times. Um, June, what I have found is it, it is partly knowing your camera and getting in the right light, but it's also, I often end up tweaking my photo um, I, with photo editing software. I will... Um, skew, I will change some of the color settings once it's into my photo editing software to get it to that true color because it is awfully hard. I do sometimes have those same problem with commercial fabrics, but you're right. There, there is something about hand-dyed fabrics that makes it a little bit even trickier to really get those true colors. And I've found that to be even more so with um, the ice dyes or the snow dyes, anything that has multiple colors in it because your camera really can't figure out which color to, <laughs> to read or something. Um, now, I have daylight uh, lamps in my, uh, all of my lighting in my sewing room is daylight light, and I have a big picture window. And even in really good light, sometimes the hand-eye colors just don't come out quite right. So I will, like I said, when I use my photo editing software, I will go in and I will have my hand-eye fabric sitting right next to me and get it on my computer monitor to look as close as it can to what's in the hand-eye. Now, that being said... Computer monitors are different too. So what my hand eye looks like on my computer screen is going to look different on yours when you pull up my blog and see my photo of my hand-eyed fabric. Um, so it's a very imperfect science once we get into, I should call it an art. It is partially science. It is partially art to figure out how to get the best pictures of the colors that you're seeing on your quilt. Um, and like I said, even if I can get them perfect on my computer monitor, it's going to look somewhat different on somebody else's. So um, I would say basically you have to get it as close as you can and then just <laughs> just let it go, as they say. Um, but good for you for taking the Craftsy class, get to know your camera. As you know, I've done several of the photography classes on Craftsy, and I've found them all, for the most part, very useful. You can go back and read um, my reviews of them, some of them less useful than others, but the couple I've taken that were specific to actual photography skills and learning to how to use your camera were very, very useful. Um, so good for that, June. Um, oh, and another comment from June on actually the same blog. She says she has done 
ice dyeing in the past, and she said, I agree that for all the photos of dyed fabrics that I've seen, I've not seen much in the way of completed projects using these beautiful fabrics. And she talks about a Flickr group that she started for photos of projects made with hand-dyed fabrics, and I need to join that group. It's flickr.com slash groups slash made with hand-dyed fabrics. Um, so I will definitely join that group, June. I'm I'm part of one on Facebook, but they do a lot more of the um, like tie-dye kind of stuff, and I don't do so much tie-dye. Uh, that's more a difference in style than how you approach it anyway. I don't really know, because I haven't done tie-dye, so I don't really know exactly whether there's a huge difference in method. I don't think there is. I think it's more in design. Uh, but in any case, I will definitely join your Flickr group. Thank you, June. Um, Lindy, thank you. She says on the same Snow Dyes Chapter 3, she said, I recently just he heard about this snow dyeing. I've thought about learning how to dye or stamp my fabric to make it look different, but I live in Oklahoma, and right now it's between 45 and 70 degrees and cool winds some days. I don't think my colors would turn out well. Um, and are there any quilters who dye their fabric in the winter? Um, yes. <laughs> That's the answer. Yes. Dye fabrics in the winter, dye fabrics in the summer. Does temperature make a slight difference? Sure. But, you know, there's so many variables. Water temperature, how hard your water is, how soft your water is, um, you know, whether the stars are aligned. <laughs> there's just a lot of variables in hand dyeing, which is why I personally don't bother trying to replicate anything. I just take each batch by itself. Um, People who do it more commercially, as in if they make a business out of sanding, uh, out of selling their hand dyes, they do have to figure out what their recipes are so that they can more or less replicate any particular color so that they can sell it in volume. Um, I, I choose not to get overly picky about it in that regard because I'm just using mine myself. I'm not trying to produce in volume so I can sell a bunch off. Uh, but I have dyed in all ranges of temperatures. Now, um, if you're in a place that you don't have snow or ice, or if you don't have snow, that's okay. You can just use ice. Um, I just, when I do my ice dyeing, I buy bags of ice and do it that way. Um, and I've also heard of people who live where there's no snow and they use um, slushy machines. And they'll buy a slushy machine and they'll throw ice into it and make a slushy only without it they just use it to essentially turn the ice into snow and die that way uh, so there's a way to get around it so yes temperature out, outdoor temperature or your indoor room temperature does make a little bit of a difference um, in terms of melting ice I have done ice dyeing outdoors in the summer I've also done it indoors in the winter um, or other, just general times of year. I haven't noticed a big difference in how mine turn out, but I have to say I have never done a side-by-side -side comparison. So, you know, I haven't approached it that scientifically to say, let me run the same dye bath in several different scenarios to see how it turns out. I'm sure there's probably somebody out there in the interwebs who has, so you can do that research. But yeah, Lindy, you can dye any temperature, any time. Just be aware that, yeah, it does make a little bit of a variance on your dyes, but it depends on what you're trying to achieve, whether it's going to make a noticeable one or not. Um, Janice also posted on Snow Dyes Chapter 3, love the patterns, mine never look like that. Is there some secret? I don't know. Janice, email me what you do, and I'll see if, if how you approach your snow dyeing differs from mine in any great way. 
Um, it may be just in the amount of dye that's being used. It might be in the soda ash end of things. You know, there's too many variables. So uh, just email me with what your sequence, you know, how you approach your snow dyeing, what your sequence of steps is. And I'll look at it and say, oh yeah, well, you know, here's a place I do this differently. Or no, you're doing it pretty much the same. <laughs> you know, let's, again, there's so many variables. It depends on so many things. Um, Trish loved the colors I came up with, especially the turquoise and black and the teal grape and black, which yes, both of those were my favorites as well. Thank you, Trish. And, um, Charlotte said, so cool. R, R, R. I need a snowmaker. Like I said, people use slushy machines. I can't imagine doing it. Um, Jamie on my blog post, more snow means more snow dies, in which case I had, in which post I had another set of pictures of other snow dies I'd done. She says, I see Ferb from Disney's Phineas and Ferb cartoon. I'm, you know, when I read that, I'm going to have to look up Phineas and Ferb because that's that came after my kids were watching cartoons. So I'm not, I've heard of it, not familiar with what they look like. Um, but I hadn't really seen any particular uh, characters showing up <laughs> in those snow dies. But that's, I always call it a Rorschach test. It is so much fun to see what different people see in a snow die. Um, Carol on more snow means more snow dies said she saw a chest x-ray in the yellow and antique gold um and in the tangerine and strongest red she saw an x-ray of a spinal column which you know what once you pointed that out carol i could see it as well <laughs> um i have had i've got some that i'd done i think they were ice dyes that i'd done a while back maybe last spring um that still looks like a image of the uh synapses in the neurons in the brain to me and at some point i'm going to turn it into that quilt i don't know how but <laughs> it's just so cool kathy says best use of snow she's ever seen uh, which by the way i just recently told sandy of quilt cabana corner that what she should do is go out and scooch a bunch of fabric way down under all the snow on her patio and then just run about her backyard like a fairy shooting fairy dust of dye snow <laughs> and just see what she comes up with in the spring it would be kind of fun um Carol on my uh, posted on my January 2015 Craftsy class update. Craftsy better start getting more new classes or you'll run out. Uh, she says, I'm amazed when I look at my list of classes too. There's a couple of free ones that I would just as soon delete, but haven't seen where you can do that. And no, it is not possible to do it. One of the things I have submitted to Craftsy as a feature request is an archive ability, because it would really be nice to be able to archive classes. Um, there are just some classes that I've done and I don't see myself ever really going back to review them. But, you, you know, you also don't want to get rid of them entirely, obviously, because you might. Who knows? But it would be nice to be able to have archives so you can put stuff that's not your current active classes kind of off to the side so you don't have to wade through them every time. Um, they haven't done it yet. And... Oh, it was nice to hear that Carol also had her Ginny Buyer January block of the month not quite come out to the right size either. That it was a common thing that a lot of us had. Um, and thank you again to Kathy and to Trish um, and to... Oh, Kathy again. Kathy commented a lot. Thank you, Kathy. Um, on my Fight the Funk Friday post. And Trish said... Um, Let's see. Good luck with daily burn. Not much snow in Southern Ohio. So I've been enjoying your recent podcast at the gym now to just keep it up. <laughs> so yeah, I have still been doing the daily burn. That's the um, online set of programs. And it, it has been nice because it just takes away that set of excuses for me. Now, even if I can't get out of my driveway, I've still got a good exercise program I can do here at home. And in fact, I've got to do mine this afternoon 
um, before we go out to dinner. So that's also part of why I wanted to try to get this episode posted earlier. Um, I did also want to, uh, Daisy, a very lazy Daisy, and I had been emailing back and forth, this was a couple weeks ago now, about audiobooks, um, and that I I had mentioned that I had, um, in my last podcast, I think I mentioned that I'd started listening to audiobooks again, and that the, the issue I have is that sometimes they just take too long, and I feel like I could read this book faster, and <laughs> I get impatient. And she does say... Um, Daisy says, in regards to the speed of audiobooks, I find the normal pace way too slow and draggy. And she says she listens to them at one and a half or even double speed, depending on the narrator. You know, and the funny thing is that I've never done that with an audiobook. I do it quite routinely with podcasts and sometimes with crafty classes. If there's, if the the person speaks more slowly than I feel I can listen, (laughs) you know, then I will um, often speed it up a little bit. Um, I haven't ever really done that with audiobooks. And I think Part of that is because for me, part of the audiobook experience is listening to how the narrator approaches it. Um, but I may try it. Now, I did just finish actually two audiobooks in a row because they were short. A.A. Uh, a. Milne's uh, The F- House at Pooh Corner and then The Set of Poetry When We Were Very Young um, are both read by Peter Dennis, and they were just lovely. They were just lovely. And those were not ones I would have wanted to speed up because it's the experience of hearing Peter Dennis read <laughs> these stories. Um I really, I did enjoy them. You know, it was very much comfort food, uh, listening because it's, you know, childhood and all that. Um, and the, when we were very young, I had, uh, I had inherited both sets of poetry books, um, by taking them. <laughs> was a, um, yeah. You know how we inherit things that way. We just take them when we want them and then they become ours. Uh, so I have both of his books of poetry, um, when we were very young and now we are six, I think is the other one. And I started reading those when I was probably just able to read. Probably my parents read them to me and then I kept reading them in their mind. So it was fun. I was listening to the audiobook version of that earlier today when I was at my sewing machine and I found myself quoting along with him several of the poems. And I'm like, I'd kind of forgotten that poem. And it was funny how fast it all came back to me. And I was quoting along with James, James, Morrison, Morrison, Weatherby, George Dupree. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, I, I highly recommend those audiobooks. They're just very, very sweet, even if you have no children in your life. But if you do have children in your life, even better. So those were fun. Um, so I think that's all I'm going to talk about today. I had kind of debated whether I was going to talk about books at all. Um, but frankly, I've got stuff I want to get back to doing since it's my day off and I don't get those all that often. (laughs) So I'm going to get back to work. Um, I want to say thank you to everybody for listening. Um, Even if you've had to turn your volume way up, hopefully you won't have to do that this time. Um, To all of you who are celebrating PDSI with me, get back to work now. (laughs) And so that we all have all sorts of um, pictures of things we can post. Those of you who do not have a PDSI, I'm so sorry. Um, I I hope you're able to still, at some point today, pet some fabric, at very least. And until, let's see, well, not until next time, you know how you can get a hold of me. You can email me at sandyquilts at gmail.com, sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z. You can follow the blog. You can follow me on Twitter, Pinterest, Goodreads, Flickr, um, all of the, well, 
Am I Sandy Quilts on Goodreads? Now I'm suddenly not remembering all the rest of those places. I'm Sandy Quilts, Sandy with a Y, Quilts with a Z. You can like the Quilting for the Rest of Us page on Facebook. You can join the Quilting for the Rest of Us Flickr group. Please do love to see your pictures, and I often comment on them. And you can join the Quilting for the Rest of Us Kiva team and do good all over the world. And you can find links for all of those things at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. Now, until next time, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom.